Yeah, yeah, yeah. Morning, church. Go ahead and hit that. Morning, church. Good morning. Morning, morning, morning. Anyone alive out there? It's almost 11 a.m. Good morning. Hey. Hey, hey, hey. Uh, so I have the honor. My name is Roy, one of the pastors here. If you've been wondering where I've been, I've just been enjoying and delighting in God's creation and coming here, you know, every once in a while to teach. It's good to be back with you. Bill gave me a hard time saying, hey, I hope you're not getting paid for missing all these Sundays. Just chill, Bill. Chill. Um, we are opening up the book of James today. So praise God. I, I saw someone go, bless the Lord, bless the Lord, oh my soul. So what I want to do is I want to make sure that we are setting ourselves with a posture ready to receive because James is going to exhort us to a lot of doing. So go ahead, stand up with me, church. If you've been here before, then you're familiar with this. We want to honor God as we go through his word. So James, in chapter 2, in today's text, will address the poison of preference and prejudice. Preference and prejudice. Let's read it together. James chapter two, verse one through nine. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim that you have faith in our glorious master, Christ Jesus, if you favor some over others? For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and then another one comes in who was poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or you can sit on the floor, well, doesn't that mean that you're discriminating and showing that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Listen to me. Dear brothers and sisters, hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? Amen? Amen. But you dishonor the poor. Isn't the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus, whose name you bear? Yes, indeed. It is good when you obey the royal laws found in the scriptures, love your neighbor as yourself. Isn't that just so simple, church? It's like whether you're born again or not, how many parents out there across Western civilization end up seeing their kids hit someone and say, how would you like it if they hit you? Treat others as you would want to be treated. Mm, sounds like the word of God is written on their heart. Verse nine, but if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. The poison of preference and prejudice. That's today's message. I hope you strapped up. <laughs> Let's pray. Jesus, you are full of grace and truth. You are full of truth, the standard of truth which we measure everything we come and speak against the lies of culture in Jesus' name. And we also ask that you would treat us and give us words today, and I would deliver in love. Holy Spirit, soften the hearts of those who are hearing today, and fill me with your anointing, Holy Spirit, that I would say what you desire. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Go ahead and take a seat, y'all. Go ahead and take a seat. The book of James was written by James, the half-brother of Jesus, 
Tradition says that he was martyred in AD 62 uh, by being thrown off the high place of a wall at the temple. He was thrown off because he refused to deny Jesus as Messiah to the high priest Ananias during that time. You see, that was 29 years after Jesus' death. James then becomes, prior to him dying, he becomes the leader of the first Christian community, the church in Jerusalem. And it was full of Jewish believers, also known today as Messianic Jews. His book addresses believing Jews. That is his original audience. The theme of the book is wise Christian living. Wise Christian living. His teaching is heavily influenced by two sources. The first one is his half-brother Jesus' teachings on the Sermon on the Mount. The second one is the book of Proverbs. And you can see how he was heavily influenced, right? He grew up Jewish, having to read through the Proverbs. And he also grew up with Jesus within his household. The body of this book is chapters two through five. Okay, so in chapters two through five, there are 12 different thematic lessons. These are going to constitute our sermons throughout all of the book of James. Altogether, they're not going to be linear ways to think. Like when we were in Genesis, we took a narrative book and we worked through a lot of themes. This one is discourse. James is telling us what to do. He's getting in our business, but it's all over the place. And each teaching stands on its own and finishes with one-liners. So placed in front of chapter two through five is chapter one. And in it, they're just quick previews, quick teachings of what the rest of the book is going to cover. In other words, chapter one is a preview to the movie, and then chapters two through five, which we will cover until the end of the year, will be that movie. So we'll be teaching through chapters two through five with allusions and references to chapter one. You with me, church? With that being said, let's get into the message. Verse one. My dear brothers and sisters, this is one of 15 times that the writer James addresses the original reader in such endearing terms, brother and sister. And it's, I suggest it's not just because he's writing to Jewish believers. I suggest because the rest of the book is very challenging that he wants to soften the heart of the recipient. He's reminding them, I am your brother. Have mercy on me as I exhort you to walk in obedience to Jesus. You see this pulpit right here? I'm one of three teachers that comes up here. And we have resolved in our hearts to teach through the whole counsel of God's word. All of it. We were in Genesis. First book and we're jumping to James. And when a pulpit does that, we cannot avoid challenging issues and topics. And so because I'm, I'm literally going to be teaching out of James, and he made it his business to get into your business, I naturally am going to say some challenging things. But just remember, I'm your bro. You know that I love you, and I know that you love me. So mercy upon mercy, may we receive this. My job is to divide the word of God rightly. Give it to you. 
Your job, bless you, your job is to ask the Holy Spirit if it's true of you. So now let's look at some of the hard things that James has to say the rest of the passage. We ready? Verse one. How can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? Wow. James is calling out the church, the original reader. He questions if they actually belong to Jesus if they give favoritism. The other two ways that uh, James questions the genuine faith of the Christian reader is in two other ways. The first one is if they're doing what the Bible and the written word says. And number two is if they are controlling their speech. Look with me. We're jumping back to 1 verse 22. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourself. Okay, now we go to uh, 1 verse 26. If you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself. And your religion is worthless. Let's be honest. We know people who profess Jesus, yet their actions look nothing like the written word. Like slander is a style to us, to them. Gossip is gospel to us, to them. They, they cuss like sailors. They cheat on their spouses. And we, from the outside, look in and say, I know Jesus said I'm going to know them by their fruit. That don't like good, look like good fruit. And it's easy to look and see that there is something off with their actions. And and let's be honest, the examples I gave are like quite reasonable things to ponder about when you look at someone's actions, that they don't live like Jesus, don't smell like him, don't have a godly sorrow over sin. And then we end up saying, you know what? Are they actually born again? Are they sealed with the Holy Spirit of God? But in this text, James is saying, if you give favoritism, I question you. And I'm like, what? Favoritism? Like out of all the things that have been said thus far, he's going to throw up for the third option. Hey, man, I question if you're genuinely experienced saving faith. The third thing after obeying the word and doing what it says and then watching what we say is going to be favoritism? For me, when I read this, I was just like, hold on, let me have to, let me, I work through commentaries, I'm like, hold on, is this what he's really trying to say? He's really trying to say this. And I don't know if it's me or if it's the culture, but I know that it's mixed. Because when I read this, I didn't think favoritism is that big of a deal. Like literally in culture, we have Coach Dion Sanders giving us a fine example of how little favoritism is actually considered as a sin. So the head coach of Colorado, he's currently the most uh, written about, most garnering of attention media coach in football history. His name's Deion Sanders. He's the head coach of Colorado football. And recently he released a ranking of his children. A ranking of his children based on what they currently are doing. And he releases it and re-releases it every single week. And he explains why certain kids of his move up and down. And the media loves it. The media is eating it up every week. They're asking him, hey, did Shiloh end up moving up? Did Shador end up moving up? By the way, 
just so you guys know, those are black names if you've never heard them before. We got mostly white, <laughs> white people up in here. You're like, Shador, Shiloh. Okay, those are actual names. <laughs> people are eating it up in media. And so for me, it's, it's silly because it's normalized. And to me, it doesn't seem like it hurts feelings that much. But James is going to show us in the rest of the text how devastating and poisonous preferences, especially within the church and also within the biggest influencers in life, our families. And to be clear, James is using the word favoritism, meaning to show preference to a group of people. So let's see why this is a big deal. Let's see why I end up getting rebuked by the Holy Spirit during studying for this. Verse 2. For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor, dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can't stand over there, or else you can stand over there, or you can sit on the floor. Well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Favoritism divides. That's why it's a big deal. Preference divides. That's why it's a big deal. It literally creates distance between us and other Jesus lovers. And even more so, James in verse 9 calls it a sin. So worse off than that, it creates distance between us and the lover of our soul, God. At the heart of the issue, it is sin. James here is describing a church that sowed preferential treatment to the rich. And at first glance, this is not that big of a deal as I confessed earlier. You see, where my mind went was when my kids needed something unique, when they needed some, quote, special attention for different seasons even, as my six have grown up and my oldest is nine right now, I've given them that special attention. Like there are certain behavioral issues that me and Danny will discern, and we say we need to do something a little bit different for this kid. And when I see a new person in our church gatherings, and I'm hanging out with someone that I know and I love, and we have good relationships, solid, you bet your bottom dollar, I'm gonna walk away from you politely and go and make sure that I'm being hospitable to the new person. You feel me on that? Is that just me? Is that too human of me to confess? (laughs) It just comes natural to me. But the favoritism that James is rebuking is not that. It's a heart issue that James is rebuking. It's the habit of pandering to a certain people. And just by default, it results in being prejudiced by definition towards the rest. In other words, the other side of the coin of favoritism is prejudiced treatment towards those we are not favoring. It is preferring those we agree with at the expense of those who we disagree with. It's preferring those who impress us at the expense of those who do not impress us. It is preferring the kid who's easier to parent at the cost of the more difficult kid. That is why preference divides. 
preference, prejudice, one coin, two different sides. There is always a cost to preferential treatment. Always. Many of us came from a divided home. Our parents preferred our sibling, and it felt like there was something wrong with us. Our parents preferred their hobbies, their work, their entertainment, and it made us feel less than. The adults that God placed over you were meant to nurture you, to cherish you, to guide you towards flourishing in life, according to God's word. And you experience them treating you as less than. The emotional toll that you experienced is nothing that anyone asked for in life. Not me, not you. And praise God if you did not upset the apple cart and cause division within your family. Praise God. But you and I both know, living in a household where we always experience favoritism and prejudice against us does something natural within us. It distances us from our parents. It distances us from the sibling who's being favored. We both know that you, as well as I, were tempted to set up defense mechanisms. People-pleasing, resisting authority, having a chip on our shoulder, trying to prove ourselves everywhere we went. Born-again saint, I'm here to just remind you of good news. If that's your past, you are not a victim, you're a victor. And here's what I mean by that. When you gave your life to Jesus, you got a new papa in heaven who does not favor his kids. And he has treated you since you've been born again with unconditional love. Unconditional love. So whether you feel it or not, doesn't make it true or not. It's what he's declared over his children in Jesus' name. Guys, just take time to pray. Pray, just pray. Father, you know exactly who that person is in this room. You know their pain. You've also seen them in victory. Get to the bottom of their heart, God, soften it, that they will give access to you in every area, including the deepest wounds, that they would go to you for counseling. Holy Spirit, and would you bring about a health and healing that only you can bring. In Jesus' mighty name, we all prayed. Amen, amen, amen. And favoritism is not just hurting families, but it divides the church. James paints this picture earlier of church leadership sitting as people would come in, sitting people based off of what they dress like, 
and prejudging them of how much money they had made. It was literally a picture of two divisions within the church. Could you imagine if our ushers this morning came in and seated you according to your income? How embarrassing would that be? Embarrassing. You would see how much church leadership has prejudice against certain people. You would see how we have preference towards other people. You know what the harder thing to see is, church? Are the ways that we discriminate. The ways that we show prejudice. It's easier to see it in other people, but it is much harder for us to see it in the person in the mirror looking back at us. Much, much harder. Church, no matter how long we've walked with Jesus, we are still tempted to show preferential treatment to those who agree with us. It's just easier (laughs) to those who impress us. It's natural to those with status, to those with recognition, to those who have good looks, to those who are likable. And it all costs others. It is not as innocent as I once thought. Just so y'all know, preferential treatment and prejudice is so divisive that us three pastors do not look at giving records because we do not want to treat you different. We don't trust our flesh. You see, this church began in the spirit, and we're going to finish it in the spirit. Amen? Amen. That's how serious division comes through with preferential treatment. Let's move on to see what else James has to say. He's going to continue to press into us more of the cost of prejudice. Verses 5 through 7. Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor. Isn't the rich the the one who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? James is harping on the preferential treatment the church was giving to the wealthy at the cost of the poor. Today, with us living in the wealthiest nation in history at the wealthiest time in history, the church more so in America is made up compared to the global church of rich and less rich. Of rich and less rich. So I don't think the prevailing prejudice issue of today has to do with rich versus poor. And naturally, we are influenced by other things outside of the Bible. Our family, politics, and culture outside of the church. Today, the prevailing headline in culture is the battle on ideologies. The battle of ideologies. And naturally, it's made itself and its way into the church the people of God, brothers and sisters. I suggest the poisonous prejudice within the church today is not rich against the poor, but prejudice against the truth. Prejudice, on the other side, against love. So let me explain that. One political platform mocks objective truth. 
mocks the Judeo-Christian principles that set up the laws of this land in which we have flourished for centuries. Mocks giving credit to God for creation. Mocks God's designer hand in which shows that humanity flourishes with the appropriate sexuality and God's design for marriage. Brother and sister, if we vote for that party, we must confess in all humility that we've overlooked truth and had a preference towards love and compassion. But in doing so, we've given preferential treatment to love while being prejudiced against truth. An example of this is that that party platform champions the murder of the most vulnerable humans that the Bible describes. That would be life starting at conception, the preborn. And we overlook this because we have compassionate hearts. I know plenty of born-agains who vote for this platform because we have compassionate hearts. We value all of life. Every issue that is politicized is a moral issue. And so whether it's the baby or in this platform, a lot has to do with the marginalized or the minority. We care about all of it. And the Bible affirms that every person who was made at conception is an image bearer made with inestimable value. But there's one thing that I want us to consider. Speaking as your brother here, there are some moral issues that are closer to God's heart than others. Specifically, the preservation of life, just period, don't murder, is closer to God's heart of higher value than the quality of the life post-conception. Okay, so here's where I get that. You know, the Ten Commandments for majority of history, right, for God's people was a way to reflect his heart. And within the first four commandments, it's all vertical. Do not do this against me. It has to do with not sinning against our creator. Okay, so then five through 10 show us not to do's because it would be a sin against others. And the sixth one there about not sinning against others is do not murder. It's a part of the first 10 revealed things of God's heart. Not the quality of life for the sojourner, although that matters to God and is written about everywhere else in the word. But within the first 10, God shows his heart towards the imager of God, including the preborn, as the sixth commandment. Do not murder. That's how close life is and the issue of life is to our designer. In voting for the platform, we're favoring love, just being honest, and compassion over truth. And that really isn't love at the end of the day if it is not guided and directed in its practices born out of truth, born out of the revealed word of God. The other political platform is solid on truth policies. But where we would end up falling is in pride. 
It's looking at the other people, the other people of the church who vote for the other platform and looking down our nose at them because they don't represent truth. And we know truth and stand on truth and they don't. So because of that, it's easy to get puffed up with pride. If we vote for this party, we must confess. It's easy to give preferential treatment to truth at the cost of gentleness, <laughs> at the cost of love. If truth were a person, we would float towards truth more often than going and hanging out with love. If, if truth and love were personified, we would hang out with truth more if you vote for this type of political platform. We're tempted to overlook the moments where our messaging lacks gentleness and care for our neighbor. We're tempted to join in on the name calling of the other platform, calling them snowflakes, calling them soft. Ben Shapiro, a political commentator, famously has said, facts do not care about your feelings. And I get the sentiment of that. Someone said amen. I get the sentiment of that. But taking it and really examining it and being critical of that statement, that's not God's best for his people. We better care about both facts and feelings. 1 Peter 3, verse 8 through 9 says this. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with blessing. In a disagreement, we better decide whether we want to win the argument or win the person over. We cannot do both well in love. As my old coach used to say, I can only hold one thought. In other words, I can only do thing, one thing well. As I got married, I realized that's totally a dude thing. My bride can do multiple things well. That's a side note. <laughs> that's just a side note. Brothers and sisters, we have a preferential and prejudice problem. Some against truth. Some of us against love. And the best remedy for God's church is to remember Jesus, who was full of both truth and love. John 14 says this, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth. Somebody give me an amen. amen. And the life. No one come to the Father except through me. Jesus cared about the truth of him being God so much so that he made sure that he went to the cross and rose from the grave to prove it. Now, for the past 2,000 years, only those who have believed on his name have experienced a new Papa in heaven. Amen? Amen. It's not just that, though. He's love. 
John 3, verse 16. It was love that motivated his sacrifice for us. Verse 16, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Love. He was compelled by both truth and love. Care for us. Unconditional care for us that though we were sinning, he first loved us. May we walk in both truth and love. It will be so like Jesus. Check it out in Ephesians 4 verse 15. Instead, we will speak the truth in love. And check this out, what what it does. Growing in every way more and more like Jesus. Isn't that crazy? The more that we speak the truth in love, we grow in Christ-likeness. You know what I'm saying? It's like first you form the habit, and then the habit forms you. You've heard us say that from the pulpit often. In other words, the more we rid ourselves of prejudice towards truth or prejudice towards love— the more we will resemble Jesus. And this will never divide a church. It will never divide a family in Jesus' name. Actually, looking back at it, check it out with me. It brings unity. Ephesians 4, back to 15. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Jesus, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes a whole body fit together perfectly. Bless the Lord. And each does his own special work. It helps the other parts grow. So the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Those we agree and don't agree with. Those who impress and don't impress us. Those who we are captivated by their looks and are not captivated by their looks. Those who are likable and especially those who are unlikable of worthy is worthy of us treating them like Jesus would. In truth and in love. You know, Jesus once said on the Sermon on the Mount here, if you love only those who love you, What reward is there for you? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to friends, how are you different from anyone else, Christian? Even pagans do that. Brothers and sisters, the cost of preferential treatment and prejudice is way too high. Did you feel that this morning? Are we understanding that us being guilty in this will eventually cause divisions in this house and in your family household. It will divide. There will not be a closeness between the family of God or your blood family like it was designed to be. But Jesus, love, truth, together. Let's pray. Jesus, You're full of grace and truth and love and kindness. You're worthy of all praise. Help us take this to you, Holy Spirit, and see where you convict us, where we disagree, God. Would you soften our hearts to approach leadership, me specifically, to have a conversation? 
knowing that trilogue, conversation with you and the person preaching will always be best form of learning. So Holy Spirit, I'm so grateful that this house is growing in love and in truth. Blessed be your name, in Jesus' name, amen.